Hey, RTTN family, welcome to this week's podcast. We just want to take a second and welcome you if you're listening in your car, out for a walk, or you're on your break. We hope this message encourages and helps you in some way today. We pray God blesses you right where you are. Be sure and join in live on Sundays at 1030 a.m. Just visit rttn.church to check us out and get connected. Enjoy the message. This is my first time literally on a Sunday morning, so let me kind of tell you my story, all right? Uh, I'm, I grew up on the border of the United States and Mexico in El Paso, and you probably have heard about my city, but for all the wrong reasons. Nobody goes to El Paso. There's only two reasons you go to El Paso. Nobody vacations in El Paso, okay? There's only two reasons. One, to visit family or to do something illegal. That's the only reason you're in El Paso. And so uh, if you've probably... You've probably heard of it where you've heard about the, the cartel wars, the drug trafficking and the sex trafficking, all that kind of stuff, uh, all on the board. Okay, those are all my cousins, <laughs> all right? So it's intense. Christmas can be fun or the police are involved. There's never an in-between, I promise you. And so I, I remember by the age of 12, I had a lust problem, a drug addiction, and an anger issue, but I love to play basketball, which led me to a church that had a gym, and the youth pastor invited me to camp. I went to that camp, and on the first night of that camp, I got saved, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and I got called into ministry all in one night. From then on, I went to Bible college. I then found myself on assignment in the business sector. I was the internet sales director for every luxury car company except Lamborghini in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. It don't matter, though. I mean, we, the truth is we were making money, and Erica and I had made financial goals that most people could retire at. That's a good place to say amen, church. I'm just telling you, right? It got real quiet. Some of you are like, I don't want to hear about that right now. I came for hope and healing. <clears throat> I, I remember, though, listen, no matter how wealthy you are, if you're not in the will of God, you will be miserable. And I remember God said, sell everything you have, give it all away, put everything you can just into two suitcases, and move to Sri Lanka. I remember we did it. It was crazy. People thought we lost our mind. I remember the VP of Mercedes-Benz literally telling me, you're insane. I mean, it, was in, it really was. But I remember moving over there, and I remember the first thing we started hearing is mortar shells blowing up down the road from my house. I remember suicide bombers bombing the hotels we were staying in. I remember all this heavy persecution. But in the middle of all that, we were seeing God raise up his church, and we were seeing daily salvations, signs, wonders, healings, miracles, breakthrough, freedom. It was intense. And I remember God called us back, took over student ministry that had a sweeping revival come through where we literally weren't just winning them. We were releasing them, and they were going into high schools and shutting down classrooms. When you have the whole class fall out under the power of God, when you have Muslim teachers having two-minute visitations in the classroom and get saved, when you have principals wondering how you do what you do, when the mayor of your city calls you and says, what do I need to be doing to change? How many know that is revival? We had this sweeping revival come through. It was powerful. And then I would get called from Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. And they said, would you come and be on our team and help lead there? And I spent the last decade there training up leaders and releasing them all over the world. This is where I met pastors Ben and Ashley. And we have literally graduates in almost every nation. Actually, it's every nation, including North Korea and Iran. I'm telling you, God has done something special. 
And then just in January, I joined forces and linked arms and a humble, I mean, just a humble opportunity for me to come on the team at Missions Me. We lead something called One Nation, One Day. One Nation, One Day is these historic campaigns where we go into a nation and begin to work in the deepest parts of society, not just the church, but we're working in education, we're working with the politicians, we're working in the medical field, we're working in the areas that never receive any aid or opportunity. And I remember uh, coming on and just hearing about the story, you know, One Nation, One Day was started when we found ourselves in the office of the president of Honduras. We looked at President Barboso and we said, you know, the country is in pain. The homicide rate is here. The suicide rate is here. Poverty is here. And what if God was speaking to us through Isaiah 66, 8, in this hour, in this day, can a nation be changed in one day? President, we believe, President Barbosa, we believe that God is speaking to us, that we're going to have a new Honduras, and that we are going to see a radical transformation that will be sustained, not for the life of a conference or a stadium outreach, but forever we will see the salvation and transformation of nations. We said we need five things, though. Number one, would you stand with us and declare that your nation is a new nation? Number two, would you open up your borders so we didn't caught up in the red tape so we can ship in millions of dollars of humanitarian aid across all cultural spheres? Number three, would you let us go into every high school in your nation so that we can bring a 2,000-member army to do assemblies for a week and with, with, an alt, with preaching Jesus, altar calls, and laying hands? Number four, would you give us the largest stadiums in the largest cities of your nation and would you underwrite all of the stage, lighting, and sound costs at no cost to us? President Barbosa took a resolution out of his desk and signed it into motion right there, thus believing and breathing on One Nation One Day. Can I tell you, since that took place, we did 15, or 18 simultaneous stadium events. Most people do one. We did 18. We did, we gave out millions of uh, meals, hundreds of thousand pairs of shoes, blankets. I can't tell you how many wells we dug, how many women's conferences we did, youth conferences we did, political forums, education forums. I mean, Honduras was so concerned with how many people we were bringing because they have never had a 747 land in their country. So they said, we don't know how we're going to do it. I said, why? Or they, we said, why? And they said, we don't have an airport big enough. Are you telling me if we built you a bigger airport that we could land 747s? They said, yes, fine. We'll add that to our list of faith and, uh, and budget. And by the grace of God and the supply of the church and key business leaders, can I tell you, we built Honduras a bigger airport so that the first 747s that ever landed in the nation were full of ambassadors from heaven releasing revival. Now that is national transformation. We went from Honduras, we did in Dominican Republic, we went to Nicaragua. Do you know in Nicaragua, one in every seven people in the entire nation was reached face to face with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in one day. We are now have our sights set on Peru and we are bringing the largest missions team ever in history. We're bringing 5,000 people from 30 plus nations, 100 and something churches to join a team of 5,000 Peruvians and we're gonna have a 10,000 member army pounding the ground in Peru, believing for once again that God would shake a nation and there would be sustained national transformation across all boards. 
I love what I get to be a part of because I get to fuel a generation of men and women, not just young people, men and women, to have global conversation and global vision. And it's easy to do that in a church that's called Redemption to the Nations. Are you with me? I, wouldn't, I couldn't do this alone. I have a beautiful wife. We're celebrating 15 years of marriage this year, and we have four kids. Come on, I'm Hispanic for real, for real. I got four kids. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We just load all the cousins, all the primos, everybody in a Toyota Corolla and go to every garage sale in the city. I'm brown and proud. I know where I'm from. I know where I'm from. But I have four beautiful kids. And I love them so much. But I can't think of a better place to be than right here at RTTN. Who's hyped about being in church? Who's glad that you could have been? You could have been still hung over. You could have still been addicted. You could have still been broken. Your marriage could still be jacked up. Your kids could be on the streets. But God touched your life and you are in church. I feel like preaching this morning. I woke up with a shout. I plan on losing my voice. I don't even care because I feel such a weighty presence and a holy reverence in this room. I feel like that you have stepped in more than a moment. I feel like you've just turned a page. I feel like a new chapter is being written and I feel like God wants to enlist you, not entertain you. And it's going to be a special time to see God move on your life. But I've got a fresh word. And I don't have to tell this church. I love a church that talks back. Because I believe the word of God should have, deserves a response. Are you with me? I, I believe the word of God should have home field advantage. I love playing on my home turf because I have the most crowd support. Well, I think the word should have the most crowd support. Are you with me? Come on, church, talk to me. So I don't care what you say. Say, come on, somebody. Say, some on, somebody. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But if you talk back, the message might get better. I'm not making any promises, but it might get better. All right? Are you with me? Somebody say yes. yes. Are you ready for the word? Yes. I believe it. All right, turn on your Bible. Yeah, I know what generation we're in. All right, turn on your Bible. <clears throat> if you open it, that's great. If you turn it on, that's fine. I don't care if it's on a screen or a sheet of paper. The Bible says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I, it does, in other words, it can divide anything just as long as you read it, no matter what it's on. So turn it on or open it up, all right? And go to Judges chapter 7, please. Judges, the 7th chapter. Now, I need you to stay with me this morning because I want to give you a lot of history. I have been lost in one person's life the better part of last year, uh, and I, I cannot tell you how many times I would stop with just three words and God would just download on me. And I feel like I would do an injustice on the message if I did not give you what the journey that I've been on through this person's life in Judges 7 so that you could walk away with something that's going to be reminded on Tuesday. Come on, don't you want a message that lingers on your life? I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about one-liners. I don't want something that's tweetable. I want something that's livable. Are you with me? No problems there, but I can tell you, I just feel like the journey is necessary, so follow along with me here. You know, um, when I first heard that there was a book in the Bible called Judges, I was kind of upset, because I grew up in the era of Tupac, and I'm thinking, only God can judge me now. And, but I understand that is actually, if we were going to re rename this book with reverence and holy consideration, it could actually be called Deliverers. 
because that is a prophetic statement about who Christ is, which is the Christology, the type and shadow of Christ. But at the same time, it's a prophetic statement of who we are. We are more than just church members and deacons and ushers and men and women with titles. We deliver nations, cities, neighborhoods. I'm telling, we deliver. And I love this because it's full of all these men and women who were unqualified out of nowhere and they would literally, God would literally set them up to change their nation. And here we find uh, that Israel is constantly in this broken cycle, sound like my life before Christ. They would get free. In fact, the last verse, actually the last line in the last verse of chapter 5 and the first line of the first verse in chapter 6 could sum up the entire book. The last line in chapter 5 says, and the nation had rest for 40 years. Very next verse but then Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's this cycle. What happens, they would, they would get free, they would, they would get delivered from the enemies and find themselves back in bondage. They would get, they would get delivered and find themselves back in pain. They would, get, uh, they would conquer their enemies and they would find themselves starving. And now we've hit this point again, which is interesting to me. Because the problem is that they, would not knock, they wouldn't kill their enemies. Can I tell some? I feel like somebody needs to be reminded. Your problem, listen, your problems don't need to be down. They need to be dead. The problem with what we do with our issues and our marriages and with our kids and in our personal life is we think if I can't get victory, then I just need to process and manage it out. You're not here to make excuses for your problems. You are here to kill, sabotage, and do away with. Keep them dead. Let them remain. That's part of the old man. That's part of the old way. That's part of an old thinking. Can I tell you something? Goliath knocked down was good, but Goliath dead, he stopped being a problem right there when his head was severed from his body. And I feel like somebody needs to hear that a Goliath may be looking at you, but the truth is Goliath's name actually means to reveal. In the original Philistine, it literally means to reveal. What Goliath didn't realize is he was setting himself up because what he did when he, his very presence we actually revealed the true king of Israel in front of Israel. I wonder what your giants could say about you. I wonder what your storms are going to say about you. I wonder what your obstacles are going to say about you. Truth is, every wall that you run into should activate something, a part of you, inside of you. Right? So here you have, this is exactly what happens with Israel. So a desperation comes on them, and now they're hiding in dens and caves, starving. They have been disarmed. You find in the song of uh, Deborah in Judges chapter 5, verse seven, 8, it says that there was not a spear in the land nor a shield because a blacksmith they could not find. I mean, they are, they are literally conquered, completely conquered. God hears their prayers and selects someone who wouldn't even pick themselves. To, try, to, stir up, to raise up another deliverer. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm the type of parent that if I play with my kids, I, I don't give them easy W's. I, come on, I'm not one of these millennial parents that gives away a participation trophy because I'm worried about their emotional state when they're 20s. No, you suck it up, you put into work, you do the time, and you go walk away with a W, and it's gonna feel a lot better when you did it rather than daddy giving it to you. It don't matter if we're playing a matching game or 2K, I plan on destroying you. I ain't gonna have no insecure kids, I promise you that. You ain't gonna, I ain't paying for therapy. I'm sorry, I cannot stand that. Tweet about it, you can email me. You can email, I don't care, ChrisStraw.tv. I, I, the truth is, is I, I, I honestly, I, I, I feel like God chooses someone who wouldn't even choose themselves. 
It's kind of like, like when you, when you cho chose your team in, in grade school and you always wanted to get the best players. You remember that? If it was basketball, you wanted to get the top players. Well, then you get that last one. It's like, you can have it. No, you can have it. No, you can have it. You, you can have it. You know what God does? He lets everybody pick their team. And he goes, okay, hey, you in the bleachers. Yeah. Hey, Gideon. Yeah, you. I, I want you on my team. I don't even know how to play. Perfect. I get him. That's exactly what God does. So he shows up and he tells Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. What? You talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to him, me? You know, like you talking to me? God says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He says, no, 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 I'm the least and the weakest. You know, the truth is, this is not even, this is not even accurate. Because you'll find that Gideon's father was the one who led the whole nation to pagan worship. He was the one who set up all the idols. So that you can't do that unless you have some influence and some clout. So the fact that he says he's the weakest and the least isn't even true. Which tells me how you see yourself is so important. Because the enemy would love for you to be convinced that you don't matter and your voice is not, not going to carry that far and you have no impact and little old you can't do anything. Can't, let, let me help somebody out. But the enemy would really love for you, if he can't destroy you, he will distract you. With your insecurities, with your weaknesses, with your excuses, all of that, he will distract you. So God comes to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And after several tests and opportunities and journeying with God, Gideon begins to believe he is who God said he was. So then he gets to this point where he's like, Lord, I'll do anything for you. And God says, good, but I need you to do one thing. I, all those idols your dad set up, I need you to tear them down. God knows who he was choosing. I need you to go and listen, they may be a, the largest drug dealer in Chattanooga, but they are going to be the greatest soul winner when they submit their lives to Jesus. They're going to know every drug addict. They're going to owe every connection. They're going to owe every, God knows who he chooses. And so here you have Gideon. He comes, he starts believing, and he goes in the middle of the night and tears down all of these idols. In the middle of the night, the men of the city wake up to find that what they have lusted and loved for, in the wrong ways, for so are all crashed to the ground, they find out it's Gideon, and they march over to Gideon's house to kill him, and his dad gets in the way and says, listen, if Baal really is God, let Baal come down here and pick himself up, put himself together, and set him back up on his place. Leave Gideon alone. And the men were like, that's good thinking. Let's see, what happens. Let's see if that happens. Well, watch this. So then... So then all of a sudden when the men, their anger is subsided and sobered, Gideon grabs a trumpet and blows the trumpet. And it says as he blows the trumpet, the spirit of the Lord comes on Gideon and men now join his army. Just like that. I, we're going to come back to that. That's too heavy to, to skim over. And men join his army. So now he goes from literally being the only one. So now he has 32,000 in his army, and now they're ready to face an enemy that cannot be numbered. That's what it says in Judges chapter 7. But here we read Judges 7, verse 2. All right, there you go. A lot of history here. Now let's parachute in the middle of this situation. Judges chapter 2, verse, I'm sorry, Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors. <laughs> God ever work on your nerves too? <laughs> I only got one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 went home, leaving only 10,000 willing to fight. Can you imagine explaining yourself? Gideon blows the trumpet. 
right? And then 32,000, let's go. And they're all hyped. Let's do it. Let's take on Midian. Let's kill him. Let's get us. Right? And then Gideon's like, all right, whoever's afraid, you can go home. Let's do Oh, thank God. Oh, man, let's, let, Gideon, I was about that life. I really was. But I, I, I can't make it. I've got, I had, sorry, you know what I mean? Like, can you imagine? Gideon's like, all right, 22,000. At least I got 10,000. At least I got numbers. I still got some number. I got 10,000. Look at what God does. Verse 4. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. <laughs> How do you know God's got different problems than we do? Like he counts a lot differently than we do. Right? There's still too many. It, it, it's, it, it, like, it's amazing. I, I've never heard of a military leader go, no, that's too many. It's way too many. I've never watched a documentary, read a book, even watched a movie where somebody said, no, that's too many. We're going to annihilate them. I've never heard that. Only God's like, too many, too much. That's, that's extra. You're so extra right now. You can't do that, right? <laughs> verse, verse 4. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring. I'm going to test each one of them and see who's going to go with you and who's not. Verse uh, nine, 5. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and bring it to their face like a dog. In the other, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. Only 300. Then the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Now, I, I don't know about y'all, but if I'm Gideon, and I'm pretty sure that Gideon would be doing the same thing, God comes to Gideon that night, and he comes to Gideon and says, hey, Gideon, you skirt. Almost like, hey, Gideon, you skirt, you skirt, you skirt. And Gideon's like, I'm skirt. I'm real skirt right now. Like, we went from 32,000 to 10,300. I'm skirt. I'm sure Gideon's in the fetal position breathing through a paper bag. <laughs> I'm skirt, right? And then God says, all right, since you're scared, go to the enemy's camp, and I'm going to speak to you there. No, no, they're trying to kill us, and you want me to, no, 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 go to the enemy's camp, and I'll speak to you there. Gideon's smart. He's obedient. He goes. He is walking through this camp, and in the middle of this camp, <clears throat> this is amazing, in the middle of this camp, he overhears a dream from his enemies, and they said, this guy's like, and the dream is spreading through the entire camp. He overhears this dream. It's, I woke up, or I was dreaming last night, and I saw a loaf of barley bread. Everybody say barley bread. He said, I saw a loaf of barley bread, and this barley bread came tumbling down the hill and crushed all of our tents. Then another guy interprets the dream, and he says, that could only mean one thing, that Gideon, the son of Joash, is coming down that mountain. God is with him, and he is going to annihilate our entire army. So fear starts making its way through the entire enemy camp, while Gideon starts to bow down and worship because courage has so overwhelmed him. I think it's time that you overdose on courage. I think it's time that you're overwhelmed by a strength. I think it's time for a tidal wave to come on your life that you are never the same. Man, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to behave. He says, he, he goes back to his army and he says, God has given us the victory. They haven't even fought yet. God has given us the victory. He breaks his groups into two, uh, 100 men, three groups of 100 men. He sets them up on all sides of this camp and he says, only take with you pitchers, uh, torches, and trumpets. This dude loves trumpets. <laughs> For some reason, he's like in band, all right? So... <laughs> Like, he goes, now, the reason why is they had no weapons. Remember, they are disarmed. 
They are literally going to go fight a countless member army with no weapons. That's faith. So they go and, they, and all of a sudden they, they're, they're positioned just right. Gideon says, do as I do. He throws down the clay jar. They all throw down the clay jar. That crashing noise wakes up their enemy in the middle of the night. They light the torches. The enemy comes out of the tent and sees they're surrounded by torches. And they begin to flee and run, leaving everything behind. And as they blow the trumpets, their speed of haste begins to leave as they're fleeing. Why? Because the wicked run when no one is chasing them, like it says in Proverbs. And I'm here to tell you. That God is getting ready to cause a noise and cause a storm and bring a battle on your fan, on your front lines, on your fan, on behalf of your job, on behalf of your city, on behalf of your family. And God brought a great victory that day. My goodness, my, I love this story. Let's pray. Come on, church, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to be poured out on every heart and every mind. I speak to this atmosphere and I say that you are full of faith and you are full of hope and you are full of peace and you are full of power and I come against every limit, every restriction, every barrier, every lie. Lord, I come against every bit of demonic harassment and I break it right now in Jesus' name and I call your men and women to the front lines of what you are doing, no longer in the shadows, but literally you're raising up generals in this armory called Redemption to the Nations. I thank you for every family every marriage, every child, every extended family, every city official, everyone that's represented in this room, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone shout it. Amen. 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 I'm calling this message really a phrase that I, I feel like it, it could easily describe the hour that we're living in. It's called risk it all. I feel like it's time that we need to risk it all. Not hold anything back. It's time. You need to risk everything. No longer can you just risk pieces, sections, or parts of your life and heart, your gift and your talent. You need to go all in and risk it all. I remember when God put me in a position to do this. <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was coming back from a prayer meeting with a friend. I was walking her back to her car, at, and we were praying at this high school. And uh, I remember, uh, I remember I could, you could not park at this particular high school. You had to know where to park, or otherwise they would tow your car. And the only reason I knew that is <laughs> I actually got kicked out of this high school. But that's a totally different story. And so uh, I, I remember I knew where to park. And so I'm walking her back to her car. And she's like, where's my car? I said, you park right here? She said, I parked right here. I said, are you sure you parked right here? She said, I parked right here. I said, you can't park here. There's no parking sign right there. You know what she said? She said, they don't mean that. I said, well, apparently they do. Because your car is like no longer here. I said, call the number. She calls the number. Sure enough, they towed her car away. She said, can you give me a ride? I'm like, no problem. Dope. Let's do it. So this is El Paso, all right? It's bright, sunny outside. It's the desert, all right? Everything, it, it's brown. Everything's brown. The ground's brown. The food's brown. The people are brown. Everything's brown. <laughs> and if we want to get excited, we use beige. Ooh, beige. <laughs> so we're walking in. It's sunny outside. I mean, there's not a cloud in the sky. We, we show up on this dirt lot. We walk into this trailer. As soon as the door closes behind us, Pastor Jeff, as soon as the door closes, it's like all the sunlight <laughs> left. And there's one, it's dark inside, and there's one light, I kid you not, flickering at the end of a hallway. It's flickering, like, like I don't know why I did it, but this is flickering. All right, this is flickering. It's flickering at the end of a hallway. And then the figure of a guy appears. It's not Jesus for all the super spiritual ones, all right. <clears throat> and he, a figure of a man appears, and it yells, what do y'all want? 
And I told my friend, I said, hey, hey, that, that is talking to you. And she said, uh, she said, I'm sorry, we're we the ones that parked in no parking. You parked in no parking zone. How you parking in no parking Stop parking in no parking zone. Jimmy, run, 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 car by quick. Put up the front. Stop parking. I'm tired of picking up cars. Stop parking in no parking zone. Okay. Now, I don't know what kind of Christians you hang out with, but in this season of my life, I hung out with the, with the crazy ones. I mean, these people are always looking for a fight. They were looking for demons in trees, car batteries, popsicles. I mean, it didn't matter what, but they were going to fight the devil somewhere. You get, there's a few of these in this room. They're like, they're in the popsicles. You don't know it yet. But they're in the popsicles. So all the, I'm so dumb. So I, so I remember she turns to me and she goes, Chris. And I'm like, what's up? She's like, we've been sent to the Lord here. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I said, you have been sent to the Lord here. I knew where to park. And she said, stop playing. I said, you stop playing. She said, stop playing. I said, you stop playing. She, come on. she said, come on, let's pray. I said, fine. So I did what any Christian does in this situation. I pretended to pray. <laughs> you ever done that? Come on, maybe this morning you were just like, shut up about this. <laughs> See, hey, don't, don't look at me like that. So judging me. So I, I remember I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm really into it. I'm overselling. I'm like, you know, I got tambourine, interpretive, whimsical, the whole thing. I'm sitting there, oh my God, right? But then God starts speaking to me. And he says, son, I want you to wash that man's feet. Uh, uh, wait, a, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Like, what? He says, son, wash his feet. I said, I ain't washing his feet. I, do any, I, ain't, I don't do feet. I ain't washing his feet. He says, son, wash his feet. I said, come here. First off, we don't even know what that is, okay? And secondly, you want me to wash his feet? I'm not washing his feet. He said, son, wash his feet. I said, you created it. You wash his feet. He says, son, I feel this holy pressure come on me in this one. He says, son, wash his feet. And I'm like, fine. Like, I'm so mad. This is my reverence. So I remember I, I sneak into the kitchen. I grab this nasty, crusty old mug. I'm telling you, Moses drank out of this thing. It was so gross. And they only have cold water. I'm thinking as soon as I pour cold water on this man's hoof, he's going to punch me in the throat. So I take cold water, and this guy comes in, and this is a big, hairy, I mean, hairy, sweaty dude. And he comes in, his pants are all, he's cracked up. He's squawking in like this, right? And he sits down, can't believe parking no parking zone. Who going to park it no parking zone? Can't believe, stop parking. He sits down, I said, sir, listen, I'm sorry. But we're Christians, and God speaks to us, and he told me that he wants me to wash your feet. <laughs> and, and this guy went, I said, sir, can I wash your feet? And without hesitation, he's like, okay. I'm like, this man's a freak? What the heck? I'm not lying. He said, okay. I was like, hey, your voice changed. So he said, he said, okay. So I, he sits down, and I remember he's in the chair, and I take off his shoe, y'all. No, Lord. I know what death smells like. It smells like what was ever in his shoe because there was rotting corpse in the shoe. I remember I take off his shoe and it hits my face and then I take his sock off and I don't take it off. I peel it off like it's a banana. Like it's just coming undone. It's all moist like a brownie just coming off and I feel the back of his heels. He had crevices in his heels that you could have shoved bodies and food like a sandwich was in there for later. And then he came over the top of his foot. I remember the top of his He had the hairiest feet you have ever seen in your life. Looked like a bunch of spiders just having a meeting on the top of his foot like this. If you would have, it would have been like, like that right there. 
Then I get to his toe. He had the he had one toe that was yellow. Yellow, I'm talking about highlighter, glow in the dark, radioactive, yellow. This nail was so big, it looked like his toe had a tooth. Could have named it Chomper. I'm sitting there, and I kid you not, I looked at heaven, and I was like, Lord, this is proof that you hate me. And, and, and this is how I started my prayer. Pastor <laughs> being blessed right now. Uh, I, I, this is how I started my prayer. I said, Lord. These feet have seen some rough years. It ain't right. That's very pastoral of me in this moment. It's, it's accurate, though. I said, Lord, these feet have seen some rough years, but then all of a sudden something shifted. And I said, but I feel like these are years the enemy has stolen from him. In fact, he's separated from his wife, and I named his two sons, and I said, he's, he's separated from the house, and this is a generational curse. And I break it off him, and I call restoration into his marriage. I say, he's going to be a good husband. He's going to be a good father. He's going to be the man you call me. And I start prophesying to this man, and this big, hairy, sweaty dude begins to, like, weep. <laughs> and he's big, so everything jiggles. <laughs> Just, like, like, weeping. In front of me, I look at my friend and she's in the corner like this. I look at her and I'm like, sissy. Like I'm this great man of faith. We hear the car pull up in this moment, I kid you not. And we hear the car pull up and I'm like, I'm like, he says, Son, he says, sir, do you mind stopping? I said, I do not mind stopping. Trust me, I do not mind stopping. And, and he, I don't want my coworker to see me like this. We got in the car, we left that day, but I remember we called a man who came down, who lived down the road, and that man gave his life to Jesus that day and is still in that church to this day, to my knowledge. <clears throat> but let me tell you about the car ride home, because I was mad, I was hot, yo. I mean, I was like, ooh, I was mad at Jesus. <laughs> this was the first time I had ever done this stuff in my life. Now, my life is just one big of that. This is what it is. And I, I, I remember I got in the car, I'm like, God, you cannot be coming up in my life unannounced like that. All right, you need to bring that up in pre-prayer. You need to bring that up in the Bible reading. You need to DM me, send a smoke signal for crying out loud. You're going to be watching people say, you cannot show up and ambush me like that. I said, and this is what I said, I said, Lord, because how am I supposed to live the same? How am I supposed to, to respond? How am I supposed to be normal after this? And I said, you're ruining me. And that's exactly what he said. He said, exactly. And he shouted, he said, exactly, I don't need you to be normal. I'm ruining you for normal. I'm going to give you a totally different normal, and you're going to be ruined for weakness. You're going to be ruined for insecurity. You're going to be ruined for fear. You're going to be ruined for excuses. Do you realize he's ruining you? As a church, as an individual, he's ruining you. You are breaking all the rules starting now. Because it's time to risk it all. And the truth is, whether you do something or you do nothing, you're still risking it all. Because I have watched how indecision is still a decision. No, you need to hear me about your marriage. You not doing something is still doing something. On behalf of your kids, indecision is still a decision. Do you realize when you stop the risk taking, we start losing ground? No, 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 you need to hear me. Let me drop a history lesson on you. Literally, in the 60s and 70s, when communism really fell hard on Russia, you know the greatest debate in the church was what color our vestments should be. And we lost Russia. The greatest debate when prayer was taken out of schools in the church wasn't how should we keep prayer, it was how do we get hippies to wear church clothes. 
When we stop risk-taking, when we get our focus off of heaven, when we're not following the cloud, or we're trying to hold on to yesteryear's outpouring and not for the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we lose ground. Indecision is still a decision. And you not doing something means you're risking it all. And you doing something actually means you're risking it all. I learned a long time ago that choice, not chance, determines your destiny. Risk it all is the cry of heaven right now on your worship, on your children, on your marriage, on your family, on your bit. Risk it all. You cannot live mediocre anymore. He is not asking you to be average anymore. And if you're going to risk it all, let me give you three things. Number one, stay war ready. It's time to stay war ready. You may say, Pastor Chris, I, I can't risk it all. I, I, you got the wrong guy. That's just not me. I, 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 no, I, I can't see myself doing it. Listen, you may be unlikely, but that doesn't mean you're unusable. It's time to stay war ready. I, I remember uh, uh, one of my students, his, uh, his name was, uh, <clears throat> his name, uh, there, there are several of them, actually. It was Chris and, and Jasmine and a few others. They had got together, and our kids, instead of partying, they were praying. It was such, and if you knew our section of our city, it was, that's not normal. But they would pray, and the Spirit of God fell on the room, and God said, hey, go to Home Depot, go to where they have the for sale sign aisle for all the homes, and in that aisle, there'll be a man and a woman, they're both going to be wearing blue jeans and white t-shirts, and they're going to be standing in front of a for sale sign, their names will be this, and they got the word divorce. So they go to the Home Depot, they look, go down that aisle, sure enough, they see a man and a woman dressed exactly how the Lord said. They walk up and they say, is your name such and such and such and such? And they said, yes. They said, listen, we're Christians, we're out praying for people, and you're on God's mind. We're praying for you, and God told us, he gave us this word divorce. Do you know anything about that? And they both stood there wide-eyed like, these are teenagers. This is, listen, this is not some seminary student. This is not even in my body. These were 14, 14, 15, and 17. They said, do you know anything about that? And, and they're looking at it, and, they, and then one of them interrupted and said, sir, I feel like God's saying that he wants to heal your back. Do you have back issues? And he's like, no, no, I don't have back issues. And his wife's like, now, Harold, you stop that right now. He complains about his back all the time, and he need, I'm just tired of his belly aching. And, no, you go ahead and pray for his back, baby. Go ahead. So like, sir, you, you good with that? So they walk over, they lay hands on this guy's back, and, and they said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I command this back. Be made well because of what Jesus has done. I command it healed. And all of a sudden, they felt a pop. And they said, sir, do something you couldn't do. This guy started bending over, touching his toes, moving back with no pain. God totally healed his back right here at Home Depot. Then the wife is crying at this point. The student, one, of, one of the students goes, now listen, I believe that you guys are in the middle of the biggest decision of your life right now. And it's called divorce. And, and I love this generation because they don't quote the scripture quite the same, but they get it right. You know what I'm saying? Like they get credit, you know what I'm saying, for trying. And so they said, and, and God says about divorce what God like duct tapes together. He doesn't want anybody like cutting it. <laughs> so... So this, I'm telling, so, so they start weeping, so they start praying, and all of a sudden they're like, God, would you just duct tape this marriage back together, and we just throw away scissors, and we throw away scalpels, and we throw away offenses, and they start praying, and these two people like fall, boom, right here. After they're done having their moment of encounter, they look at these students, and they turn around, it was a sign to sell homes. 
They said we were putting our house on the market tomorrow and we were meeting with our divorce attorney tomorrow. They both gave their life to Jesus right there and joined our church the next day, the next weekend. Why would that happen? Because somebody stayed war ready. And I feel like God is setting you up for a level of encounter and a level of outpouring and a level of risk taking that you cannot ignore anymore. Church attendance is not enough anymore. I'm helping you out. You think the devil's scared because you came to church? He would love for a revival to break out in the church and the people across the street know nothing about it. He's, what he's scared of is when you get into church and you get a courage and a vision and a strategy for your family or for your marriage or for your city and you start activating that, he is nervous about that. And I think it's about time that hell breaks out in a cold sweat about what God is going to do in Chattanooga. If you believe that, give God five seconds of praise and say, God, enlist me now. God, do something in me now. God, send me out like an arrow. Launch me into my destiny. It's time to stay war ready. I love this. I love this. Here's Gideon. God says, you have too many warriors, verse 2. Then in verse 4, you still have too many. <laughs> and it, it, listen, why is this so important? Because you can never be too small for God, but you can be too big. I, I, someone don't want to hear that this morning. God doesn't care how pretty you are. God does not care how influential you are. God does not care how popular you are, how wealthy you are. He wants to know, are you faithful? Can heaven consider you reliable? When he calls on you, will you move at his whisper or does he still need to shout to get your attention? You may, listen, I, 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 we need to stay war ready. I love this. He's, God says, whoever's afraid, you can go home. <laughs> whoever's afraid, go home. Boom, 22,000. Why is this so important for us? Because sometimes it's not about what's standing in front of you. It's about who's standing next to you. And this battle has nothing to do with their enemy. It has everything to do with their covenant and their relationship and their community. And can I tell you, the 90 days of visitation has less to do with the opposition and has more to do with the unity that God is stirring in this house and what he's going to do over three days of prayer and fasting, what he's going to do over Easter, what he's going to do for the rest of the year, and how you're going to have campuses in different time zones all over the planet. Stay war ready. Whoever's afraid can go home. You listen, the truth is, you don't need an army that's fleeing when they should be fighting. I learned real quick who was on my team. <laughs> I learned real quick who was really on our staff. I learned real quick who was really on. Oh, come on, you don't want to hear this. Like, I, I learned real quick who was really for me and who was really not when I was looking at countless enemies. When rumors are flying and things are being said and all opposition and the vision is so big, it's crushing all of their skill and talent because at some point it's no longer about are you gifted enough, it's have you prayed enough because to carry this thing you need supernatural strength. You need the supernatural muscle it takes. Whoever's afraid, you can go home. It's not that God doesn't love you. It's that God would never put you in something to sabotage you. This is too much for you. God's not here to crush you. 
I, I feel, thank you, Holy Spirit. I feel like there's someone here. You're like, when am I going to get promoted? When am I going to get revealed? When am I going to get set up? When am I going to get spotlighted? When am I going to be covered? Can I truth this? It is not the, the rejection of God that you've not been promoted. It is literally the mercy of God Almighty that you have not been promoted. Because the enemy is the father of premature promotion. Because he knows when you get there before you're ready, it will crush you, sabotage you, and take your marriage and your kids with it. And God said, I know exactly what you're ready for. Trust the process. Because, friend, if you don't go through the process to get it, you will never have the power to keep it. I told you I plan on losing my voice today. Whoever's afraid, go home. And then he says, watch this. Basically what he's saying is, whoever is untrained, you can go home too. He brings them down to the river. Remember this? He brings them down the river. And he says, whoever Watch this. Whoever drinks with their mouths in the stream like this, put them in one pile. Then he says, whoever drinks like this, puts them in another pile. Friend, which position is more war ready? This, where you're oblivious to the attack, where you're oblivious to the ambush, where you've not been praying, where the only thing you can see reflecting you in the water is your own self, your own plans, your own agenda, your own passions, where there's a selfishness, you can't see everyone else around you, and God can't use you. Which is, what, which is more susceptible to get defeated, this or when you're looking for it? when you're waiting for it, when you're stirred by it, when your eyes are on the clouds, when you're looking to the hills, when you're ready for every opportunity. All you need is one assignment. All you need is one arrow to go past your head. And all of a sudden, something is activated on the inside of you. And you said, you picked the wrong one today. I'm more ready. I ain't going out with a fight. I brought a shout and I brought my God with me. Stay. War ready. Whoever's untrained, you can go home too. Why? Because even though you have the uniform does not mean you're ready. I watch a lot of people wear a lot of uniforms. I love it when people give me their business card and it's got like, like it's got like apostle, cherub, head Levite, shofar player. Sooner, and sooner or later I'm going to see uh, like Jedi Master somewhere on there. It's going to happen. The truth is you don't have a title, you have a purpose. And if you live your life like this, all you care about is titles. But when you live like this, you're dreaming with God about nations and governments and transition and transformation and opportunities and assignments. You Listen, it's more than just getting on platforms and stages. It's more than, it's hot, listen, everybody wants to be up here, but the real work is down there. I'm telling you, I love it when people are like, no, I'm, call, I'm called to be a worship leader. I, I'm called, and they haven't just highlighted me, and, 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 and I, I need to be on the stage. I'm called to be a worship leader. Friend, if you can't lead it down there, you have no business leading it up here. Oh, but Pastor Chris, I'm called to be an evangelist. I'm called to win souls. If you can't win them across the street, what in the world makes you think that somehow God is going to platform you around it? Whoever's untrained. Go home. I'm not impressed by uniforms anymore. Because I had to learn to take mine off. Because eventually what it became was Saul's armor. And I had trouble fighting lions and bears when I used to practice on that. <laughs> I hope you're hearing me this morning. Whoever's untrained, you can go home. 
You know, my pastor told me, I love my pastor, my spiritual father, Pastor Adam McCain. He told me this story. He said that he walked into a lunchroom at a, at a big competition and the rival school walked in. He said they started trash talking and they decided who's going to be the better school was going to be decided by who they did an arm wrestling contest and who won. So the rival school gets their best guy and he comes out and this guy's like bowed up and then they, he gets their best guy and this guy's nickname was Steroid. I'll let you go ahead and imagine why. And this guy comes over and Steroid puts his arm and they start going for it and they're pumping and going really hard and Steroid feels like he's going to lose. I mean this guy is big, jack, huge like me. So he gets over on this table and he starts going over and he's about to go, you remember that, what was that, Sylvester Stallone movie, over the top, you remember the... Y'all remember that? Come on, I'm taking some people back. And so he goes, he goes over and he's like, I'm going to give one last pump and I'm, I'm sure I can take this guy down. He goes over and does one pump and when he does it, at the same time, pow, the bone in his arm comes shooting out inside of his arm. All the kids were like, got to go, I ain't getting arrested, I'm got, I got to go. What, listen to me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Oh gosh, I hope you get this, get this, get this, get this, get this. The demand from his exterior was too much for his interior. You have an inner and an outer anointing. And the truth is we spend more time developing our singing skill and our craft and our trade and our gift, but not our integrity, not our character. Our money ain't right. Our marriage is messed up. Our kids aren't in order. Things are out of sync. And friend, you think you can chase enemies and scare giants because you look cute? You have the uniform. You don't have the training. Everybody gets to dress up at least one time a year. But we don't need you suited up. We need you trained no matter what you're wearing, no matter where you're standing, no matter who's calling on you, no matter what the situation. Whoever's untrained, you can go home. Why is this so important? Because you need to stay war ready. You think, man, why won't he? He keeps challenging my character. No, he's getting you ready for giants. He keeps asking me to tithe. I don't want to. No, he's getting ready for you to be in boardrooms. This, you think, man, there's no way. He, he develops this way. God raised a king on the backside of a mountain. God raised a deliverer on the backside of a desert. Are you free? He, he was the one who could see an apostle inside a, a, of an addict. He's the one who can see the prophet inside of the pervert. He's the one who created a passionate worshiper out of a prostitute. Don't you dare tell me that God don't got plans for you. God's got hands and he's got plans. And it's be working on your life, crafting you, molding you. He just needs you to stay war ready. Are you getting some out of this? Is this okay? Stay war ready. Here's the second thing. Where is he calling you to stand? Where is he calling you to stand? If we're going to risk it all, number one, stay war ready. But number two, where is he calling you to stand? And I had students, one of them showed up at a cereal aisle in front of Cheerios. God said, go there at this particular store. He said, there's going to be a man there. He went and looked down the aisle, no one was there. Went back a second time, no one was there. Went back a third time, no one was there. So he goes back, I'm sorry, he goes back the third time, someone's standing there. It's a big dude. He's dressed, he's a, this dude just got off a of Harley because he's got Harley Davidson boots, black leather pants, and a black leather vest and no shirt under. Again, spiders and, and a forest was growing on this man's chest. <laughs> And sure enough, this, he, he goes over and he says, Chris just breaks the ice and he says, listen, the Lord's telling me that uh, uh, I'm supposed to pray for you. And this guy, he says, I believe your back needs to be healed. And he says, uh, he says who told you that? Who? Wait a minute. You know stuff about me? You know my business? Who told you that? And he's like, Jesus. Jesus is the one that told me that. 
And I remember he, he said, can I pray for you? He's like, okay. So he lays his hand on his back, and sure enough, he says, Father, in the name of Jesus, heal this back. And this guy goes, whoo! And he says, do something you couldn't do. Sure enough, this guy starts bending over, touching his toes, starts a little bit of crying because he's finally getting healed. And Chris turns, he gets, you know, this guy's like, you know, 700 feet, and Chris is like a little nacho to him, okay? So, like, he, so he, he looks at him, and he's crying. He said, Lord, sir, the Lord just healed your back, but I believe he wants to save your soul. He needs to become your Lord. And, I, and he says, will you give your life to Jesus? And he starts preaching Jesus to this man. This man gets saved by the Cheerio aisle, or by the Cheerios in the cereal aisle. <laughs> then, yeah, come on. To God be the glory, right? But then he turns to him, this guy turns to this teenager. I'm purposely telling stories about teenagers, not because I'm the youth guy, because I'm not the youth guy, because I want you to see that God is raising up a generation and we need every generation on the front lines, not just those who've been in church long enough. So I, I, he turned, this guy turns to him and says, you know what, I was riding on my motorcycle over here. He said, and a voice came into my head and said, go to this grocery store, go to this aisle, stand in front of the Cheerios, and someone will meet you there. He said, who is that? And then Chris said, that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would that happen? Because somebody knew where to stand. I think it's time you draw a line in your sand, the sand in your marriage, the sand in your finances, the sand in your business, even the sand of Chattanooga, and say, I'm crossing lines, I'm breaking rules, I'm going over the barriers because it's time to know my assignment doesn't just keep me where it's safe. God's calling me to some dangerous places. God's calling me to some risk-taking. God's calling me to giants. God's calling me to where I'm not trained, where I'm not ready, where I don't know. Where's he calling you to stand? We had students who would show up at, at a, one student got a vision said, you know what, I, there's a palm reader and he always has a line out the door on Friday night, but there's a yogurt shop a few stores down. If I go in there and make a deal with, you, with the owner and say, hey, we want to do free spiritual readings and dream interpretation." Will it dry, and if it drives business to your store, are you okay with that? This was a teenager that came up with this, by the way. This wasn't me, because I'm not that smart. I'm crazy enough, but I'm not that smart. So I, they say, can you not? I said, go do it. Sure enough, the guy's like, well, yeah, if it brings in business. This guy wasn't even saying, he's like, yeah, if it makes me money, let's go. We did it. There was a line out the door and bodies all over the floor of this yogurt shop. Not the church, not a conference, not a service, a yogurt shop. Why? Because somebody knew, I'm called to stand here. I wonder who knows. I'm called to Chattanooga. I'm called to Tennessee. I'm called to the nations. Where are you supposed to be standing? Can I just say this? I'm just going to say this. You know, it's interesting. Joshua gets into the promised land. And the Lord meets him and says, take off your shoes because the place where you stand is holy ground. But to Joshua, it was enemy territory. To the Lord, it was holy ground. What took it from enemy territory to holy ground? Joshua was standing in it. I feel like you're going to take back crack houses. You're going to take back strip clubs. You're going to take back every club. You're going to take back your family just because I get to stand in it. Just because my feet are in it. Where is he calling you to stand? It's time to risk it all. I'm telling you, it's time to risk it all. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to be risking it all. God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, go down to the enemy's camp. Go down to the enemy's camp, and I'll speak to you there. <laughs> Notice God does not send him to another conference. Oh, you don't want to hear that. 
Notice God doesn't send you to another service, to another church, to another gathering, to another podcast, to another book, to another itinerary, to another YouTube. I can go down a list. Notice what he does. He doesn't send him there. Where does he send him? Into enemy territory. I truly believe people are like, how do you have the faith? How do you have the courage? I used to ask these same questions uh, to men and women, fathers and mothers. How do you do that? You know what they would tell me? They said there is only a type of courage that's released on your spirit on the other side of a risk. You can't get it praying it. You can't get it going to church. You can't get it studying. You can't get it even, you can speak in tongues all you want. But until you start pushing up against enemy lines and going behind enemy times, then a faith is released. Then a courage is released. Where is he calling you to stand? You know, I said, hey, there would be 90 days of visitation in this church. And I really mean that. I really, I was convinced I'm, I'm not a prophet. I'm not that. But I felt in my soul just something possessed me to go and launch that word. But I really believe that 90 days is going to come to an end. And then what do you do with your time of visitation will determine how really good and how really deep and how really special that 90 days was. Because God doesn't want visitation. He wants habitation. He wants to remain. The Bible says when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and something like a dove came down and remained. I want the Spirit of God remaining. He says, go into the enemy's camp. I'll speak to you there. Could it be that we're missing out on the kind of courage that changes cities and nations because we're too consumed with the budget and we're too consumed with the safety? We're too intimidated by the risk? When God's saying, I'm the God that breaks all the rules. I can stop time and space. I can make the sun stand still. I can make you walk on water. I can decide, I decide who lives and who dies. I can call you out of the grave if your assignment is not done. Don't you dare doubt what I'm capable of. I tell the sea to go this far, and it stays. I put the stars in the sky. I told the sun to be this bright. I told the moon to come out at this time. Sometimes God just needs to shove his weight around to remind us. I need you to take a risk. Trust me. Gideon goes over, takes the risk, and comes back. Imagine if Gideon had never went. He would never have gotten the courage. He would never have gotten the strategy. Hear, hear me. I want to, because this, this qualifies everyone in this room. This puts us all in even playing fields right here. Gideon goes into this camp. Watch this. He goes into this camp, and all of a sudden, he hears this dream. Remember the dream? A, a loaf of barley bread is going to come down the hill. It's going to crush everything. That could only mean that we're about to die tomorrow. Fear starts to rise in the heart of his enemy. Courage starts to rise in Gideon. Notice where he's getting encouraged. Not the temple, not the tabernacle, not from a prophet, not from a priest, not from a king in an enemy's camp. And he goes back and gets the strategy. Now here's what's interesting. Everybody say barley bread. Barley bread. Say it again. Barley bread. Here's what's interesting. Barley bread does not stick well together. So if it tumbles down a hill, what's going to happen to that barley bread is it's going to break off into crumbs, which is exactly what God did to Gideon's army. He started with 32,000, then to 10,000, to 300. What is God saying to us? He says, I don't need the best. I just need the crumbs. I don't need the elite. I just need the crumbs. I don't need the... The well-trained. I just need the crumbs. I, come on, talk to me for a second. I don't need the smartest. I just need the crumbs. Is anyone else grateful for the broken pieces in your life that God reached down and said, I don't need the strongest. I just can beat you with the crumbs. 
Don't be ashamed of your crumbs. Yes, is anyone else grateful for their marriage that was in crumbs and now is not? Their children that were crumbs and now they're not. God is saying, let me just throw the crumbs. Just give me the crumbs. I don't even need the whole loaf. Just give me the crumbs. <laughs> the God whom we serve is able. It, it, this, this ministers to me. It should minister to all of us when we're so broken and defeated. We're stretched thin. When we feel like we're carrying too much. And the truth is, that's such a lie. Because God only gives us what we can handle. It, listen, I need, you need to hear this. It's not that God has given you too much. It's not that you've taken on too much. It's that you've taken on too little of what really strengthens you. He takes crumbs and throws it at a whole army. In one move, brings great victory, just like that. Uh, listen, what looks like scraps to you looks like stacks to God. What looks like crumbs to you is max capacity to God. He just needs the crumbs. Let me give you the last thing. If we're going to risk it all, number one, stay war ready. Number two, where is he calling you to stand? And number three, our God is a weapon. I hope you hear me. Our God, he is a weapon. I, God, Gideon only got his victory because of what happened. Not in the enemy's camp, not with the vision, not because he showed up. It was what happened in chapter 6, verse 34. It says Gideon grabs a trumpet, blows the trumpet, and the spear of the Lord, boom, falls. It says the spear of the Lord came upon Gideon. Watch this for me. Because I think I read this wrong for so many years. Here's what it literally means. It literally means that Gideon was a costume and God put him on. Is that not representative, uh, representative of this side of the cross? That God in us, it's Christ in us is the hope of glory. It is not longer I that live, but Christ in me. Are you following me? You are a costume that God is getting ready to put on and send you to the four corners of your city, your state, and your nation. The Spirit of God is coming on this church. I prophesied it's coming on this nation. It's coming on this city. It's coming on these people. You are like costumes, and it's more than dress rehearsal. It's time to risk it all. Stay war ready and begin to stand where he told you to stand. Look what happens. The Spirit of the Lord comes on Gideon. Watch what happens. The same guys that wanted to kill him end up being his army. Don't be surprised when the people who tried to attack you, sabotage you, rumor reel about you, try to blast you, try to put you out, try to make fun of you, try to humiliate you, try to stop you, end up being on your team. Don't be surprised. Because when, the, when Christ is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. When the Spirit of the Lord descends on a vision, on a strategy, on a revival, it does not care what color you are. It does not care where you were born. It does not care what church you go to. What it cares about most is can they be one. Oh, my goodness. I feel this right now. You know, it amazes me, Pastor Devin, the final prayer of Jesus wasn't that we would be blessed. It wasn't that we would be prosperous. It wasn't that we would be healed. It wasn't that we would never have sickness. You know, his final prayer was, let them be one. Why is this so important? Because unity is everything. Unity is what sustains the presence of God. Unity. Now, you, you think, what are you talking about? Why are you taking such a turn? This is a weapon for us right now. We need unity. 
We have such a divided political climate. We have such a divided church climate. We have such a divided opinion polls. We have such a divided outlook on life. And what God is saying is, I don't care. I'm not taking sides. I'm taking over. And what I am trying to do is come down in unity. Because when brothers dwell together in unity, Psalms 136, God commands his blessing on those people. I just feel a stirring in my heart to speak to this. I don't know why, I just feel this in my heart. But Jesus, his final prayer was that we should be one. Why is this so important? When you look at Psalms 133 and you look at how they would take the anointing oil, it says, and it's, oh, I love when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like fresh oil being poured upon the beard uh, of Aaron and running down his robes all the way to his feet. That was the signal, that was a picture of when they would anoint a new high priest. When the high priest was anointed, they would take huge vats of oil and dump it all over the high priest. And they would use the same garment, the same ephod, everything. So when a new high priest came in, he had the smell of the previous anointing, but he had the opportunity of a fresh anointing. Hear me? You have the smell of a past revival. You have the smell of a past authority. And it's good, but God is getting you ready for a fresh outpouring that no one can describe, that will occupy headlines, that will cover on the news. The news cannot ignore it because you are risking it all for the sake of being one and unified. Not just in the church, but across generations. Our God is a weapon. It amazes me. Gideon goes and his men, these 300, decide to fight a countless member army with no weapons. No weapons. Not one. Except the greatest. Our God is a weapon. That's why it says in Psalms, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord God Almighty. I, oh my, some, we're not here to trust in degrees. We're not here to trust in opportunities. We're not here to trust in promotions or plans or agendas. I've got one thing I've got to trust in, the name, his reputation, his character, everything I can measure by. God is undefeated. God is unmovable. His throne is not going anywhere. He can't get voted in or voted out. He can't get a popular opinion poll to somehow cause his confidence to be saying, no, God is our greatest weapon. Why wouldn't we risk it all? Why wouldn't we risk it all? Would you stand up with me? I feel the presence of God in this place. God just sent a short Mexican to tell you it's time to risk it all. It's time. It's time. Can I tell you something? Weapons don't guarantee victories. Just like degrees don't guarantee jobs. Just like good looks don't guarantee a marriage. You want me? <laughs> I want so bad for your city to have an outpouring. I want so bad for your kids at the age of eight to give prophetic words that causes the whole church to shift plants and culture. I want so bad for your whole for this whole state. To have the opportunity to look in on what God's birthing right here and it be doable all over the state of Tennessee. And then it spills over north and south. And then it goes across the nation. And then it starts attaching itself to the hearts of those from other nations. I want so bad for your marriages to not end a divorce. 
Come on, grandparents, don't you want so bad for God to activate the prayers of your grandbabies? I don't know why I'm getting wrecked right now, but I feel there is destiny in this room. And it's not because, it's not going to happen because you chanced it. It's because you chose it. It's time to risk it all. It's time to stay war ready. And I feel in this room, there's people, you've been so overwhelmed and you've been crushed, literally, your emotions, your thought life. I feel like what Pastor Devin was saying, I feel like there's some, man, there's the presence of God, you feel that? I feel like there was such a, an attack on your emotional well-being. I feel like freedom is coming right now. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Always know when God shows up in a room, always know when the message was good, when the worship's anointed, there's many things you can like, but are we free? Because that's what he calls us. Oh, man. Jesus. I feel like there's someone here. You literally find yourself in the story of Moses. Separated early. You could have been killed early. In fact, I think your mother was deciding to have an abortion, but she saved you. Drew you literally out of the waters of polluted thinking. <laughs> and you, I, I, I know I'm, I might be speaking to many, but I know I'm speaking to one. And you could have been gone just like that. You're just like Moses. You were drew up out of the water. You're just like that. But God had plans that you would be the deliverer for an hour, for a season, for your family, for an opportunity. For Moses, it was a nation. But I always love how God orchestrated it. God literally, oh my gosh, God literally let Pharaoh feed Moses. Pharaoh thought, I'm going to get rid of God's plan. I'm going to destroy everything about it. I'm going to kill every child under the age of two. I'm going to destroy every, every Hebrew baby, every male child. And God's like, no, you're not. You're going to raise the one. I'm going to make you feed him. I'm going to make you clothe him. I'm going to make you educate him. I'm going to make you position him. I'm going to make you have authority. And he's going to be raised in your own house. And then what I'm going to do is take the crumbs of that life and throw it right at a whole nation. Who am I talking to tonight? This morning? you dare look on your past and think he got me no God said I'm gonna take him out of that crack house I'm gonna take him out of that lifestyle I'm gonna take him out of that broken man I feel the man this is a moment of salvation right here if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ if you have never surrendered yourself to the beauty of his leadership in your life where he gets to have everything if you have never had that if you've never done that I want to give you the opportunity because, friend, you're looking at someone who was drug addicted, who was literally perverted, who was so messed up, had an anger issue, felt rejected from day one, always feeling overlooked. But then God came into my life, and I have been on a journey where he's transformed me. I don't know why I get to end up in nations. I don't know why our books are all over the world. I don't know why I get to preach, but I know who. I don't have all the answers, but I know who. 
And you say, man, I want to risk it all. I want to stay well ready. You can't do that unless you know who. You have to learn where to start if you want to finish. And it starts with surrendering your life to Jesus. If you're in this place, you know, every head bow, every eye closed, please. If you're in this place, you say, Chris, I need to, I need to give my life to the Lord. I'm so broken. But something got me out of bed. Something got me out of that bar. Something has caused my hangover to go away. And I need to get delivered. I need Jesus in my life. I need to surrender my life. Or I'm just hurting. And I've been away from him. And I need to come back to him. Oh, my goodness. God has not changed his mind about you. He's not in love with the future version of you. He's in love with you right now. If you're in this place and you say, Pastor Chris, you're speaking right to me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand high enough so I could see it? Who am I talking to? Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Anyone else? Anyone else, please? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Please, please, please. Please. Yes, sir. I see you. Yes, sir. A young one. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Jesus, Jesus, thank you. Church, I believe that the first thing God said was bad was that man should not be alone. So we don't do anything alone in the family of God at all. Because that isolation is where it gets you. And I believe we should pray together. And my friends who are making the most important decision of your very eternity, it's not the words that are special, but it's the intent of your heart. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you shall be saved. If that, I want you to pray with me and repeat after me in church. Could you repeat after me? Let's say this together in faith. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I thank you that you died for me, that you rose again, and you're alive today. And I surrender all of my past and all of my future, all of my pain and all of my promise. I give my life to you. I am yours. I leave everything else behind. Transform me to look just like you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Come on, church. Can we lift up a shout? Souls are dancing right now. I, I have a word for Pastor Devin. I don't know why. I never prophesied to any of the past. I did it's the bishop when I was here. I get real nervous because if I'm wrong, that's bad. Like, but I just can't get away from this. I feel like if I got on the plane this afternoon, I would be disobedient. And then I'd have to call you tomorrow and be like, forgive me. I should have said this, Bishop, forgive me. I don't want to do that. Pastor Devin, I feel like God has so worked your mind to not think, think like you were taught to think. In fact, I feel like he has been undoing things and redoing them in a way that aligns with who you are prophetically stepping into, even in the last, what I know, about 18 months. I want to be integrous there. But what I felt in my spirit was I saw you as David on the battlefield looking across it to Goliath and I literally felt you weren't focused on the giant 
What you saw when you looked across the battlefield is you said, that giant has my sword. That's my sword. I see my sword. Forget that giant. That's my sword. I don't care how big it is. That's mine. That's my sword. And I feel like what God is saying, go get your sword. God is saying it belongs to you. I feel like you have a movement on the inside of you that's a sword that will pierce the hearts of men and women, not just women, men and women. You have a voice that transcends a gender. It transcends. God has raised up your spirit to speak so prophetically into the lives of men and women around the world. You're not going to find yourself here, I'm telling you, very often. You're going to be out, and God's shooting you out like an arrow because you're going and getting your sword. And I believe this movement has a name to it. I feel like there's a book behind it. In fact, I feel like there's a message or a phrase that you carry and this movement is stirring on the inside of you and father I just call her forward into this Lord we validate a woman leading mass revival all over the world God that she would preach like a woman would that she would sing like a woman would that she would understand like a woman would and every chain that tried to muzzle you and hold you down is broken. Every lie, every restriction, every barrier, broken. God says, daughter, go and get your sword. It is yours. Isaiah, man, I was walking past you. First off, you smell really good. That's not normal with teenagers, so keep that up. You get married a lot faster. I've smelled a lot of things I'm not sure was human as a youth pastor. But I feel like, I wouldn't say this unless you needed to hear it public. I'd probably tell you this privately, but I feel like your joy has been under attack. But you gotta understand it's not the joy, it's the strength. And I feel, I, was, I'm, this is gonna be, I, I have kids, so this, I see things in weird pictures. And so I feel like when I walk past you, even though you smell good, I, I felt like the Hulk, like I walked past the Hulk. That's what I felt like, because there was a strength. And, and I feel like there's such a strength to you. You know, the Bible says that the Philistines did not know the secret to Samson's strength. That in other words, Samson wasn't this bodybuilder that was sculpted and, and, and cut. Otherwise, they would have known why he was strong. He probably did look just like me, skinny and whatever. Gluten-free. <laughs> but I feel like, keep your secret. God says you're... God says, I'll be your secret. You don't have to tell anybody, Isaiah. I know. God says, I'll be your secret. I'll be your secret. I'll be the secret to your strength. Stay connected to your source. Guard your source. And you will distinguish yourself among any others. Not because you need to be first. Not because of your last name. Not because of your position. But God says there are too many prayers. There are too many prophecies. There are too many declarations that God is watching over his word to perform it. I call Isaiah into this right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for the secret strength that comes from the presence of the living God. And I establish him in the goodness of God. In the goodness of God. My sister, you have a red jacket on. You did, now, now you got nervous. You, you did this like, mm. Ma'am, can I have your name, please? Huh? 
Val? Val? Is that short for Valentine or Valerie? Valera. Okay. <sighs> People are already prophesying. It means valor. <laughs> I love this church. I don't even get to do it. They're like, it means valor. Because the word I got was brave. I don't know who that was, but you're right. I feel like you are brave. I don't know why, but your family needs you to be brave right now. I see, I don't know why I see two kids. Uh, do you have children? Do you have grandkids? I see two kids. I don't know if you live in a neighborhood with two kids. God says there's two kids. This may be in the future, but I feel like two kids. God is going to position you. And out of those kids, I'm telling you, they're going to be influencers. But you're, they're going to be brave because you're brave. And your family needs you now. Your family needs you to speak into it. Your family needs to lead it. In fact, God's saying pray into it. And I feel like this season of visitation has definitely been your word. But you, I, I don't know why God's saying you need to make room for these next three days of prayer and fasting. Because I, I, God says I'm making room for the new inside of you. I feel a freshness coming on you. Yeah, yeah, there it is. I feel a freshness coming on you. And Lord, I just release an outpouring on your, on your daughter, on my sister right here. And I call her in to new places. I call her in to new streams. I call her in to new opportunities right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Where's Jesus at? There he is. I know I call you Jesus, but I, I still have not gotten your name. To oh, I was way off. Yeah. Tobin. I gave this word to somebody, uh, was it yes, yesterday, and I couldn't help but be reminded that this is for you too. But I believe you are a creative one, but when you leave worship, it's not worship, it's like a war dance. Uh, and, and, uh, and I feel like this is for the whole team, you Michelle, who I love your family, I know her mom and dad for a long time. Um, I, I, I feel like this is the whole team the whole worship team. So where are you at? I, you probably are all sitting in this section over here. Yeah, all, yeah, look at that. I love it. I feel like it's for the whole team, but it, I, I want to speak this over you, but I'm going to speak it over all of you. Can I do this? You guys, okay. But I feel like God is restoring creative control to the church. There was a day when Hollywood would look in the church, literally sneak in to Amy Simple McPherson and Catherine Coleman's meetings just to steal ideas that would later end up in movies and they would say, we got it from the church. There were sounds, songs, artists that were literally stolen from the church. Elvis, stolen from the church. Whitney Houston, stolen from the church. Others, alive today, who I know, stolen from the church. And God's saying, I'm giving creative control back to the church. But I need to entrust it with those who will have integrity and will have character. And because you let God have creative control of you, you will have creative control in your spirit. And I feel like there's new songs. There, there's songs that will open up hearts. There were songs that will heal cancer. There were songs that will break open, break away principality strongholds. There were songs that are going to so diminish the rise of darkness and raise up the glory of Jesus. I'm telling you, there's songs, there's visions, there's creativity, painting. I mean, the whole thing. But hear me. I feel Zechariah chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. It says there were four horns of wickedness that terrorized the nation of Israel. And God's response wasn't raising up a king. It wasn't raising up a prophet. It wasn't even raising up an army. You know who he raised up? The Bible says as these four horns terrorized the nation, God raised up four craftsmen. 
four creative ones. And it says in verse 21 that by their creativity, they terrorized the enemy and tore down every horn. God, would you awaken a creative opportunity, a creative spirit that would tear down cancer, that would tear down poverty, that would tear down corruption. Tear down abortion, God. Tear down school shootings. Tear down lies. Tear down divorce. Tear down sickness. I call it right now on all of our, right here, lift your hands, all of you, right here. Jesus, I feel the presence of God about to smack you. Father, in the name, I want a wave, a wave of God's presence now, now, now. Disciple minds, disciple spirits, disciple perspective. Shape the gift, shape the gift, but build the character. You're going to have an outer anointing, but build the inner anointing. Build the integrity. More, more, more. I want to agree with Pastor Devin. If you have sickness in your body, I literally, I do not, a, a few weeks ago, I wish I had the pictures, I'd put it up there. I literally had a kid. He, he had been cutting himself uh, for days, and he wrote the word literally on his leg through a razor called failure. He literally wrote that on his leg. Comes to a friend of mine's meeting. It wasn't my, this wasn't my testimony. I want to be integrous. Comes to a friend of mine's meeting. He is so encountered by God that seven days later, they took a picture when they finally saw him again, all of the scarring, all of all the pain, everything, completely gone, looked like he had a brand new leg. If God will heal the cuts that you inflicted, imagine what he'll do when nobody knew that you had a cancer or you had a disease or you had a brokenness. So you, if you need a healing, friend, it's here. All you need to do is expect it. If you need a miracle, friend, it's here. Maybe you didn't get it on the first call, but God is big enough to bring that moment right back around. If you need a miracle in your body, lift your hand. Lift your hand. You literally need a miracle. I'm telling you, doctors are going to be shocked all across Chattanooga tomorrow. What, what were you doing yesterday? I was in the presence of God. I mean, did you go to treatment? Did you go to another country? I literally had somebody, a doctor ask a, a person, did you go to another country and get treatment? And they're like, no, I went to church. Feels like another country, but yeah. If you need a miracle, lift your hands. Lift your hands. Now, church, I'm, I'm not a one-man army. I refuse. Those days are over and done. This is the hour of the church. If you see a hand raised, can we all just take the next 30 seconds, ask them what they need prayer for, declare it to be, and watch what God does. We're going to see miracles right now. In Jesus' name. Come on, 30 seconds. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.
Ten more seconds, ten more seconds, ten more seconds. to do something you could not do before. Do something you could not do before. Do something you could not do before. I'm gonna end in three minutes, I promise. But do something you could not do before. If you got healed, totally healed, wave your hand right here. Wave your hand, look at that, look at that. Wow, 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 wow. Thank you, God. Hear me, I wanna release this on you. God has a habit of choosing the least likely. And I believe that some of the greatest outpourings we have ever seen are gonna happen in places we least expect it. This is the key to a divine turnaround. It's a holy ambush. But I feel like I need to release this over every man. I was gonna call certain people out in the crowd. Like you, sir, in the vest over there. Uh, I felt like this was for, yes, sir, you. And you have a blue vest, black vest on. Can you wave your hand at me? I felt like this word was for you. Like this, sir, you, sir, in the vest right here. Felt like this was for you. My friend, you have a gray hat on. You look super dope. Are you married? Okay, thank you. I was just going to help. Okay. You got the right one, girl. My, my friend right here, you have a plaid shirt on. And your wife is next. God, please let that be you. Is that your wife? Okay, that would have been awkward. Oh, my God. Because, All right. But I feel like this for the whole, but I felt like it was these four. I felt like this was for you. And you say, man, I, I may, I'm, not, I'm, I'm the least likely. Maybe you might even say, I'm past my prime or this isn't my season. The truth is, Abraham was too old. Gideon was too scared. Mary was still single. I, I can go down the list. David was too reckless. Listen, I can go down the list. The point is, is that he is choosing the least likely on purpose. It doesn't mean that the rest of the staff is getting passed over. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he's choosing you to submit and surrender right here, to be built and build others. And I feel like this is over the whole church, the least likely. Who would have thought a church like this in this part of Chattanooga would be doing what it's doing, not just in Chattanooga, but around the world? I just learned you have a church in Paraguay, Uruguay, one of them, like what? I'm telling you, it's happening. Father, I thank you for the least likely. I thank you for those, Lord, you're raising up in these moments who will risk it all. They will stay war ready. They'll stand where you tell them to stand, and they will only use one weapon. Our God is a weapon. And I release the goodness of God on every man and woman in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said? Come on, and everyone said? Amen. Come on, can we give God about five seconds of praise? I believe one of the greatest things a fire could have, a fire that's already burning is more gas. I'm a pyro in a natural and a spiritual, all right? And what I love is, in fact, I didn't even do this last time I was here because the presence of God was so strong. I was just like, ah, oh, forget it, I don't care. My publisher didn't like that, but I didn't care. But I wanna tell you, we've got some great resources out there. Um, we got this book, our first message called Finisher. Can I, how many of you know Jesus was the greatest finisher on the planet? Come on, be honest with me. Uh, listen, that's why he says, I'm the author and the 
finisher of your faith. He is faithful to complete the things that he starts. And on the cross, what did he say? It is and I believe the world is impressed by what you start, but it's transformed by what you finish. And what we need, if you have a habit of starting things but not finishing them, then friend, you need to get this message. The procrastination, the excuse making is done. It's time for the finishers to rise. And so this is a great message for you. We also have this one called ruins. Everybody say ruins. I believe that being ruined for normal is the best way to approach this Christian life. You won't look at sicknesses, wheelchairs, opportunities the same because your vision, your perspective, you have been ruined. And I believe we have, uh, we have a moment in history where we can literally transform, ruin generations and nations to the glory of God. And I have put together great list, many stories and accounts and truth to be able to stir in your heart the risk taker like I'm talking. You say, man, I don't know how to even get started. This is a great starting point for you. I would love for you to get this message to awaken a, a, an appetite for holiness, integrity, and supernatural authority. Because I believe the days of anointing are good. Don't get me wrong. But I think we need authority. Uh, anointing comes in the moment, but authority comes from the journey. And this is what we need when we're ruined. And so please go and get that. Do I have any parents in the room? Come on, admit it. Just admit it. We're going to find out later, right? <clears throat> any parents? Come on, parents. Make some noise. Make some noise. Right? The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's liberty. There's freedom. Notice he could have said there was blessing or there was healing and there are all those things, but he chose to make it known where I'm at, people get free. Which tells me as a pastor, as a parent, my job, I thought for years, was to manage my kids' sin, my people's sin. The truth is, my job is to help them manage their freedom. Because there's going to come a day, they'll leave your home, they'll go to college, and they're going to hear some atheistic, humanistic professor get up there and try them talking out of their faith. But when they have been trained to be free, they will guard that freedom. I'm not talking about a sloppy freedom that you go and waste every weekend. I'm talking about a freedom that becomes so precious that they will do anything to protect it. And we have got to raise our kids with a language of freedom. Listen, we have got to do all of the correcting all the mistake management. A lot of us don't like confrontation. But when we have a language of freedom, we live you give, you, give you word for word what to say, how to manage people or your kids, how to make them feel like they're, super, like they're superheroes when they fail, to remind them that they're geniuses and that they're loved and that God is still with them. You need a language of freedom or we're going to repeat the same cycles in our families, the same cycles in our kids that we ourselves are, de that we are uh, dealing with. Come on, David was smart and told Solomon, kill all of these or otherwise they'll be your enemies. It's time for your kids to start knocking on doors you wish you could have. Defeat the enemies now, your kids will go further because you got a language of freedom. Get that. And then finally, we have this message called kingdom identity. I am surprised at how far this has gone. We gave a drop in the bucket to you version to put on the, the Bible app. And it immediately, I, I can't remember how long it took, it had over 10,000 downloads or completions, boom, just like that. And, and I, uh, this is a message because written for people, I have found more people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who hate the career they're in or have dysfunctional marriages, don't know how to speak a language of identity to their kids. And I'm wondering how this happened because nobody sat there and trained them who they were. The truth is, if you don't know who you are, you'll never call, know who you're called to. Assignment is not where or what, it's who. Hear me. This is why, like I have students in Bible college, they're always like, Pastor Chris, I need my Boaz. Where's my Boaz? I want Boaz. All the girls, I want Boaz. And I tell them, when you get Ruth, 
or when you become Ruth, you'll get Boaz. But Ruth could not become Ruth unless she stayed with Naomi. Just like David could not become King David unless he stayed with the prophets. Saul could not become the Apostle Paul unless he stayed with Barnabas. The disciples could not become apostles unless they stayed with Jesus. Why? Because your alignments determine your assignments. You need to know who you are and who you're called to. And this is an eight-session series that will help you do that. Guys, I have enjoyed every minute here. Thank you. So I feel a presence still lingering, though. And I, I just love this house. I just leave my peace here. Thank you so much for letting me come. I just honor what God is doing in this building. Father, I just release a refreshing. He said, those who refresh others, will they themselves be refreshed? Refresh your sons and your daughters in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. I'll be out at the table signing books. I'd love to meet all of you. Blessings on you. Hey, Chattanooga, you're invited to Hope at the Miller. Join Pastors Kevin and Devin Wallace with Redemption to the Nation's Church on April 28th at 10 a.m. Bring your family as we worship together downtown at Miller Park. For details, visit rttn.church.